0: So today I want to talk about a mother's heart, because mothers carry an ache in their heart from the moment they conceive to the day they die. And I think it stems from our desperate desire to see our kids flourish and and a longing to keep them safe, to to not experience suffering. I find them, when I try to define this, a mother's heart, I find it hard to define But I really don't need to, do I? Because if you have ever mothered, well, then you know what I'm talking about. Welcome to the Jackie Always Unplugged podcast, where we're having off the record conversations. I'm Reverend Dr. Jackie Reese, founder and president of the Marcello Project. As a pastor, preacher, and thought leader, I've walked with women of faith for decades and had thousands of conversations about what women encounter solely because they are women. At work, family, their faith, with relationships, sex, the church, their bodies, and Jesus. On this podcast, we're going to be asking hard questions dealing with real issues and revisiting scripture with a new lens. These conversations are gonna put words to your female experience. They're gonna ennoble you as Jesus intended and encourage you to bring your full self to the table. It's here we're gonna reshape our view. It's interesting, in Scripture, God is described as having a mother's heart. There's Psalm 17, 57, 91, where the image of God is this mother bird sheltering her children under her wings. And in Isaiah 42, 14, God is described as a woman in labor who cries out, gasps, and pants. And the context of that is that God has this type of, of angst, of ache, about his children who happened to be in captivity. And I remember when I learned about Genesis 3, 16, that part of the consequence of the fall is that woman would have pain in childbirth. And that does mean physical pain, but if we're really honest, at least in America, we can have an epidural. It does mean physical pain, Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. But I would argue that it also means emotional, relational pain, this ache that we carry from the moment we conceive until the day we die. It's that mother's heart. And I suspect that some of you who mother are nodding in agreement right now. I don't really have to define this for you. You're going, "Mm -hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I get that. Here's the thing. Here's the thing that I wish someone had told me when I became a mother Um, See, because when I became a mother, people talked about having a mother's heart. I was aware that I would have a mother's heart for my kids. But what people didn't tell me is that I would have a mother's heart for the kids that my kids brought into my life. You know, the ones they drag home from school, the boyfriends, the girlfriends, the kids in the neighborhood. Today is June 29th. And three years ago today, Steve and I were on the road somewhere near Nashville, Tennessee. Every summer, we leave the heat of Texas and we head back to New York where we're from. I mean, why wouldn't we after all? All of my siblings live there. All of my family lives there. So off we go. We drive because we spend the whole summer. We work from home. We always have. If we can work here in the heat, we can take our computers and work up there too. So off we were. And we were somewhere near Nashville, Tennessee. And that's when I received a phone call from my son Hampton. And the sound of his voice will forever be seared in my brain. And he wailed. Mom, Cameron killed himself. And I was in shock, and I couldn't breathe, and I don't even really remember what I said. And I got to tell you, ladies and guys out there, there are no mothering books. There are no parenting books that prepare you for this when your son's best friend dies. I remember after talking to him for a few minutes, I called Hunter and Madison, his siblings, and I said, look, they were also in Austin, the same place that Hampton was. I'm like, look, here's what's happened. You've got to drop whatever you're doing. you got to get near Hampton. And they did. And then I called Cameron's mom. And again, I'm not sure what I said. And boy, I have never been prepared for that conversation. While I was making all of these calls, Steve had turned the car around and headed us toward the nearest airport so that we could fly back to Dallas, Texas. Cameron. (laughs) He moved in next door when he was in fourth grade. And he and Hampton became best friends instantly. From the moment that Cameron stepped out of the car, it was like they were bonded together. He was in and out of our home all of those years up until, well, June 29th. Cameron was like a fourth child to me. He and Hunter, my other son, were college roommates. And while in college, Cameron's high school girlfriend died in a car wreck. And I was the one that had to call and tell him. I was the one that had to call him and give him that news. And I will never forget when all of the kids came home from college and gathered for that funeral. And they were in my living room and kitchen. And Cameron, I saw him. I remember watching him. He stood numb by the refrigerator. Cameron and my boys established a Sunday meal ritual while in college, and it lasted all the way till, well, June 29th. They would get together and ask about 15 other people, and they would cook. All of them would cook. The guys cooked, and they drank. I don't really want to talk about that. I think they drank a lot. They watched football, and they carried on this connected communal behavior with each other from fourth grade all the way to June 29th. So yeah, I'll never forget my son's voice. I always thought that I would officiate Cameron's wedding. Instead, I did his funeral. Now here's the thing. When people told me about the mother's heart, they never told me that it was going to extend to my kids' people. No one ever told me that. I wasn't prepared for that. I remember being 28 years old, I had three kids, three and a half and under, and that's when Steve and I decided, that's enough. No more babies. And I remember distinctly saying to Jesus, I'm done birthing, but I'll mother whomever you bring our way. And bring our way, he did. We raised our kids in a suburb of Dallas. Uh, It was a wealthy community. We were not. We lived in a modest 1,400-square-foot house. It wasn't updated, and it wasn't decorated real well, because I suck at that, quite frankly. But it was a place that said, come on in. You're welcome. Even though I had a tight budget for groceries, we always had home-cooked meals, and there was enough for us and anyone else that wanted a place at our table. And we had tons of kids that pulled up a chair, I got to tell you. There was Zach. He was in third grade. He was in Hunter's class, and he was new to the neighborhood, and he told me he was new because his mom moved in with her boyfriend, and I could tell by the way he said it that this was not the first time nor the last time that mom would be moving in with a boyfriend. His mom worked all the time, and so Zach didn't like going home to an empty house, and so every day after school, he'd walk home with Hunter to our house to the point where Hunter one day said to me, hey is it okay, Mom, if, like, Zach doesn't come over all the time? And I was like, well, yeah. And so we talked about it, and I remember I left the decision with Hunter. Like, you call it. If you don't want him here every day, you don't have to have him here every day. Well, you may not know my son Hunter, but he has a very kind heart. (laughs) He couldn't let that kid go home alone any more than I could. And so Zach came to our house every day after school. On Wednesday nights, he'd jump in the suburban with all the other kids in the neighborhood and off to church we'd go. And I remember one Wednesday night, he asked a question about Jesus. And I was able to share who Jesus is and how having faith in Jesus means that his spirit comes to live in you. And wherever you go, the spirit of God is with you. And what was interesting is I would never shared that part, you know, the spirit goes with you. With, with, with anybody else but for some reason I felt compelled only to learn several months later over spaghetti dinner that he was moving his mom didn't like her boyfriend anymore And the next morning I went running, and i got to tell you, I was mad as hell at Jesus. And I was screaming, I mean out loud. Yes, there I was in the neighborhood yelling. And it was like I was saying to God, if you could have let Zach stay, I could have loved him. I could have filled in the gaps for his mom. I was mad, screaming. And I'm sure people in the neighborhood thought, hmm, isn't that that pastor lady? (laughs) And I remember on that run, Jesus gently said to me, He reminded me, Jackie, my spirit, I go with him, remember? And I have to be honest, that was something. It was something. But it didn't settle me because my mama's heart was still mad. I hurt for Zach, and I have prayed for him ever since. He's got to be at least 30 now, and I don't know where he is, but I do know God is with him. And then there were the two boys down the street, Hudson and Hayden, and they were the same ages as Hunter and Hampton. And Hudson became a regular at our house. He would slug through the front door and plop himself down in the kitchen table before he went out to the back room to hang out with the rest of the gang. Often, I would be working at that kitchen table, you know, because I was in the middle of a full-time job and a dissertation. Nope, he'd just plop himself down, start chatting. And just like I had to do for all of my own children, I had to pull out. You know what I mean when you're in the zone? Like, I remember writing my dissertation. I'm in the zone. And it doesn't matter. Mama's got to pull out. Close the computer. Listen. And I did that. And he'd come in often. And then he'd chit-chat and off to the back room, he'd go. But one day his mom called. And her voice was quivering, and I knew that was bad news. Her ex-husband, Hudson's dad, had a seizure while driving, hit a tree, and he was in the hospital, dying. Could we come? So I got the kids out of school. Steve had just flew in from Africa. I picked him up at the airport, and off to the emergency room we went. I hate death. I hate what it does to those who are left behind. And for the next few weeks, Hudson and all the boys in our neighborhood huddled up in our back room. And one evening while they were hanging out there, um, just for a moment I stepped in. And I asked Hudson if he had gotten anything out of his dad's house. You know, to remind himself about his dad. And he said, nah, he didn't really think he needed to do that. And I said, I, I think you're going to want something. Trust me. You're going to want something. A few weeks later, he showed me his dad's pocket watch. I suspect he still has it, and he's 30. And then there's Alex. Not his real name, and, but I don't want to give his name I don't want to give him away, Alex. He's nervously twirling on my kitchen stool. He came over often and would sit there while I cooked. But This time I could tell he had something on his mind, and sure enough, he did. Out it came. He shared with me that when he grew up, his mom would hit him a lot. Now, he didn't live with her anymore, and he was a big, huge, athletic dude. And I just listened as he shared. And then I gave him words to help identify his experience. It's abuse. I mourned with him over that. There's a verse in Romans twelve fifteen that says, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. And we mourned. And then there was Ben. (laughs) He sat on that very same stool that Alex sat on. And I knew something was up with him because he didn't immediately go up the stairs to the media room. And I'm sitting there cutting potatoes and we're chit-chatting. And finally out it came. His parents were getting a divorce. And I could see there was anger and confusion and pain. And that's fair because divorce is a death. And and we weren't made to experience death. And divorce has all kinds of little deaths that happen. And so for the rest of those high school years, I'd circle back. Not all the time, but every once in a while, and I'd say, how's your mom? How you feeling about your dad? How you doing? And what was shocking is he'd tell me. I mean, most high school boys don't even know, have a clue how they're feeling, let alone talk about it. But he'd tell me. And then there was a time I had to line up all of those boys in the, on the kitchen stools and lecture them like a mama because they had been smoking pot in my house, and so I let them have it. I told them, I have cooked for you. I have caravanned your ass all over the place, and I've been good to you, and I expect you to be good to me in return. I'm not judging you for smoking pot. That's your own deal. But you need to respect me. This is about what you do in my home. I mean, I am a pastor for crying out loud. Yeah, we had that conversation. They sat a little shell-shocked. The next week, I received an apology letter. I'm so sorry, Miss Jackie. By the way, I'm pretty sure they continued smoking pot in my home. They just made sure I didn't catch them. And then there was Vinny. He needed a place to stay while looking for his first post-college job. Do you remember that? Remember trying to do that? And how do you, how do you have money and get started and it was so fun to have him in our home for several months. He and Madison became like siblings, and I got to cook for him, which was really fun because he had not been exposed to a whole lot of different kinds of foods. Like we made quail. And he was like, "Ah, oh, not bad. He and I would watch Shark Tank together while I wrote the draft of my second book, Lime Green. And we would talk about all kinds of things, Jesus and family and his future. And I'll never forget, he showed me the ring he bought. And he told me how he was going to propose to his girlfriend, Jessica. Yep, I got to see the ring. I might have been the first person to see the ring. Bam, that's the beauty of mothering. A mother's heart, right? Like it has these heights of joy and depths of pain. Which, by the way, just a little side note here. I never let any of my kids' friends call me mom. I wasn't their mother. They had one, and I wasn't it. I tell my kids there are only three people in this world that get to call me mom. Only three. And when I married Steve, I remember his mom invited me to call her mother, and I said, thanks, but I have a mom. She cleaned my butt and wiped my vomit. Only she gets the title mother. So, no, I wasn't their mother, but I did have a mother's heart towards them. This Easter, you know, back in April, a couple months ago, You know, the season we celebrate that says, hey, yay, Jesus got up. I mean, that's really what we're celebrating. Jesus got up. This Easter, I experienced a resurrection moment. I officiated the wedding of one of Hampton's friends. Now, you need to know I officiate weddings, and I've even officiated weddings of some of my kids' friends. But this wedding was Ben's wedding. Ben, who sat on the stool in my kitchen, Ben who, like Cameron, had been in and out of my house since he was in elementary school. He and Cameron and Hampton were really good friends. And I got to officiate his wedding. And as I stood there next to him, waiting for his bride, Kate, to walk down the aisle, it wasn't lost on me that God was literally offering me a redemptive moment. On Easter, when death didn't win, because Jesus got up. Another side note. <laughs> As a pastor, I want to say it's an unbelievable, pinch-me-privilege to be a part of these thin spaces where the divine and dust meet. Baptisms, communion, baby dedications, marriages, funerals. I can't fully explain it, but something happens in those moments. It's like the space is transformed into holy, holy ground. And I get to be a part of that. In that sacred space, I prayed. And I pronounced them husband and wife, Mr. and Mrs. Benjamin Coggins. So why am I saying all of this? I don't know. (laughs) I guess because summer has arrived and we're coming out of the pandemic. And I know so many of you are going to go on family vacations where your kids ask if their friends can come or you're going to be carting your kids and their friends around or the neighborhood kids are going to show up in your backyard or at your kitchen table. And I, I just wanted to tell you what no one told me, and that is that some of those kids are going to steal your mama's heart. You'll experience their joys and their pains much like you do your very own kids. And I want to remind you, as you walk with these kids, not just through elementary school or junior high or high school, but college and post-grad, all the way into adulting, that some things can't be fixed. They can only be carried. God has given you the privilege to carry these kids, yours, and those they bring into your life. So thank you in advance for having a mother's heart, for being so much like our God. It feels fitting to me to close this podcast with an Irish benediction. Cameron was Irish, and he bragged about it a lot. So I said this benediction at his funeral, and it's what I want to leave you with, too. May the road rise to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. May the sunshine warm your face. May the rains fall upon your fields. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. Hey, if you've enjoyed this conversation, then hop on over to themarcellaproject.com and sign up for our email or check out some of our other resources. You can also find me on the Marcella Project Facebook page or on every other platform of social media as Jackie Reese, R-O-E-S-E. Have a great day.